Hey, y'all. My name is Brandon, and I get to be the pastor here, and I am so glad to be opening God's Word with you for the next few moments. We are in Acts chapter 15 today. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, would you turn there with me? And that was fun. I remembered while we were singing that, I have not thought about this in a long time, but I used to teach uh, part of my story about coming to love uh, teaching the Bible and being a, a pastor. I was a high school teacher, and I taught Bible in a local Christian high school, and I would do, associate with Psalm 34, uh, a lesson with our students that I had heard when I was younger. Another teacher did it. That's, that's all we do is take things from each other. There's nothing new under the sun, the writer of Ecclesiastes says. But I would hand out little strips of aluminum foil to each student, and they would, we would pass around one of those, you know, great Kroger honey bears, you know, that has the honey. Anyway, and we would put it a squirt, you know, I had to make sure there were no honey allergies in the classroom, but we would squirt a drop on everybody's uh, aluminum foil and everybody would eat. It was a simple illustration, but everybody would touch it that could and eat it. And I would simply say, that's what God tastes like. And then we would read Psalm 34 together. Taste and see. That the Lord is good. Do you know that this morning, church? Does it fit your uh, reality today, regardless of where you have come from? I told several people who asked because you're so kind and you ask, how you doing, Brandon, this morning? And I was able to say, you know what? It's been a really good week. It's not always that way, but it has been. The, your church staff got to spend the first three days together uh, with all of our other uh, regional campuses all the ministerial staff in camp at Camp Linden, uh, down in Linden, outside of Lobelville, and uh, just uh, southwest of here, three days together to rest, to, to learn, to study, to be together, and it was joyful and needed, and uh, so it was a good start to this week. And while I was there, um, we were reflecting on an incredible National League Championship Series uh, win by the Bravos, and my dad called me. And said, we need to go to one of these games. And that conversation happened before everybody on planet Earth decided they needed to go to one of those games. And so when I tell you the circumstances that led to us getting uh, a ticket to go to the game Friday night, my two brothers and I and my dad, for a price that we could afford, uh, you may not believe me. But it did happen, and it was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to get to share that with my dad and my brothers, and we almost saw a combined no-hitter in Game 3. Now, I had a talk with my son Elliot last night about what not counting their chickens before they're hatched means. This is not over. We need one more win, but we're rooting hard. I did ask the boys on the way to church this morning what they were looking forward to today. Because today's kind of overload, you know. Got Titans, Braves, Halloween. I was thrilled that church snuck in there in one of their answers. I'll explore a little further later how sincere that answer was. But it was one of their answers. We've spent the last few weeks looking at our values, and we've talked about how our values are something that, yes, we, 
we say and we put on our walls around the church and we want to know together. And so it's important for us to keep reminding one another what they are, along with what our mission is, along with anything else that we value. Our mission is to engage each whole person with the whole gospel of Jesus Christ anytime, anywhere, with anybody. We want everybody to be a part of the three G's that we talk about where we enjoy and participate in gospel conversations because we're about the gospel, that we are in groups. We want each of you in a group that is growing and caring and equipping. And then we want to go out in the community um, and, and, and serve and bless and be the hands and feet of Jesus uh, here and all throughout the rest of the world. And we want to live out our values. And while we say them to remind each other of them, I need to be reminded of them. We also hope that they are something that someone would say when they find out what our values are. Ah, yes, that makes sense. That is what the people at the church at Harpeth Heights are like. That fits my experience with, with them. So I pray that it is. So those values have been and are the gospels first and always. It governs, it guides, it is the foundation for everything that we do, the good news that we have to share, and that we're uniquely called to live out and to proclaim this gospel with our lives, with what we say, and more importantly, even with what we do, and that we're supposed to be intentionally innovative, we talked about last week, and how we, we don't lead out and try every cool new thing and try to be on the leading edge of that, but we do imagine how we can better proclaim the gospel to Bellevue and beyond in unique intentional ways. And today is, is similar, uh, the, the lesson, the teaching, I believe, to what we looked at last week, because it's so similar to what intentional innovation calls us to, but it's the fact that we are called to cross cultures. Oksana's story during the call to worship helped us understand what this can and does look like, a beautiful example of that. And the passage that we chose this morning is from Acts 15, uh, when a particularly important time in the life of the church. Um, around 50 A.D., we believe, when this happened. Um, but a, a very important time for some things to be settled for the church to move forward. So we're going to read through, eventually, verse 18. We will uh, do it as we go. Would you look with me at the first five verses for the moment? It says, Some men came down from Judea. And began to teach the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom prescribed by Moses, you cannot be saved. After Paul and Barnabas had engaged them in serious argument and debate, Paul and Barnabas um, and some others were appointed to go up to the apostles and elders in Jerusalem about this issue. Verse 3, when they had been sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles. And that, and they, in doing this, brought great joy to all the brothers and sisters. When they arrived at Jerusalem, they, they were welcomed by the church, the apostles and the, and the elders, and, and they reported all that God had done with them. With them, with some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees, they stood up and they said, it is necessary to circumcise them, the new believers, and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Let's stop there for a moment. So this was the, this was the um, details before 
The writer of Acts, we believe to be Luke, begins describing what we know as the Council of Jerusalem. Maybe your Bible says Jerusalem Council in the heading. It's a conference where Christian apostles, those early leaders in the church, around, as I mentioned, 50 A.D., they decreed that Gentile Christians did not have to observe the Mosaic Law of the Jews, much to the chagrin of these um, early believers who were part, part of the Pharisees who said in verse 5, it's necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep all of the law of Moses. So here's the deal. Whatever I could attempt this morning to break down and explain to you uh, about what exactly happened during and came about in this council of Jerusalem could, uh, would pale in comparison to what any of our, our Jewish friends, those steeped in the law of Moses, could help us understand about this time. It's, it's no doubt complex, and it requires much nuance. The idea that any converts to Christianity, uh, whether Jew or Gentile, would, would have to or be asked to, be expected to adhere to Mosaic law, it actually does make sense that this idea would be out there. Because what it looks like to, to, follow, to, to follow and be formed by Jesus, what we like to say here today, what that looked like in this time and place in the early church, so soon after Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension to be with his Father and the sending of the Holy Spirit, it, it, is, it is gaining its footing, what it looks like to follow Jesus, what it looks like to be a part of what the early church called the way, those who were following and being formed by Jesus. It's gaining its footing in Jerusalem and then beyond there. And so in an effort to keep out wild ideas or, or pagan riffraff, many Jewish converts, Paul's letter to the Galatians, we learn they're called Judaizers, helped to keep the law as a governing mechanism. And by extension, keeping requirements, including the circumcision mentioned here in Acts 15, on folks to be a follower and to be formed by Jesus. In essence, to require adherence to the Mosaic Law was to place an additional requirement for a disciple other than faith in Jesus. Are you with me? Okay, now listen. There are requirements for following and being formed by Jesus. But look back at verse, verse 5 with me. Some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees, they stood up and said what? It is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Now, there are tons of things that we are to do and tons of things that we are not to do in following and being formed by Jesus. But none of them, none of them solidifies our salvation. All of it, all that we are asked to do or not to do simply reveals that we follow Jesus and helps the world to see what is going on in our lives now that we do follow Jesus. I was reminded this week, I believe I reminded our staff of this, or I told them, Leslie Newbegin, pastor and theologian, whom I um, love reading, his sermons, his writings, and he wrote something many years ago, and I think he would say this to us based on what he wrote. He would say, church at Harpeth Heights, it is your primary purpose, or the question that should be asked of us about our primary purpose, to reveal our primary purpose is this, are we first serving as evidence of new creation? 
When someone looks at our church, when someone looks at our lives, our groups that grow, care, and equip one another in the ways that we are going out in the community, in the ways that we are speaking Jesus and having gospel conversations, are we evidence of new creation? Think of it this way. If you are a follower and being formed by Jesus, if you're a Christian, do you say, I'm a Christian now, when you came to believe, the moment of conversion, whatever that looks like for you? For me, it was over some time. Maybe it was an instantaneous thing for you. Our stories are all different. But would you say, I'm a Christian now? Everything about my life has to change. Or do you say, I'm a Christian now? Everything will now change. There's a huge difference between the way those phrases are turned there. You're a Christian now. Everything will now change. New creation looks different. We look different when we are evidence of new creation. We stand out. But this standing out comes about over time, much more like a marathon than a sprint. Peter's argument here that we will see unfold in the Jerusalem Council in the next few verses, it it stands out to me as an argument that is designed to bring folks together, to show how we are much more alike than different across cultures. It is a positive representation of what the gospel is. So look with me at verse six as we continue reading. It says the apostles and the elders, they gathered to consider this matter. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, brothers, you are aware That in the early days, God made a choice among you that by my mouth, the Gentiles would hear the gospel message and believe. And God, who, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he also did to us. Verse nine, don't miss this. He made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Now then, why are you testing God by putting a yoke on the disciples' necks that neither our ancestors nor we have been able to bear? On the contrary, we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way they are. Let's stop there for a moment. Because I believe this has become a significant obstacle Not only for the early church represented here in this scene in Acts 15, but for us as a church as well. A significant obstacle in our proclamation, in our presentation of the gospel to those who do not yet know the gospel. And by the way, this is a very different place to live. If you're like me and you've lived in Nashville for a long time and you get to tell people that you meet that you're a unicorn and you've always lived here like I get to do. And they look at you like you have three heads because they can't believe it because everybody lives here now. Have you noticed? And Bellevue is not a place where people wake up in the morning and on Sunday morning and just go to church. They don't pick out their church clothes before they go to bed anymore. They're not thinking about it. Like I did when I was 12. When I would have answered my parents in the same way my kids did to me about what I was most excited to on a Sunday. Going to church. There are so many people for us to have a conversation with about Jesus that lives so close to us that would not understand where we're coming from. 
because they don't know. Now, I don't know what you're supposed to do. I may have some ideas about what we're supposed to do with that. I'm not saying that to scare you. I'm just telling you it's what I've found out. And so we can't, I can't go about just living and walking around like everybody knows what I know because it's not true of where we live anymore. Crossing cultures doesn't require a plane ticket. Used to. Doesn't anymore. So this has become a significant obstacle in our proclamation and presentation of the gospel. That we have for too long in our solidarity with, with, with the people that we know and love and who we're around, speaking to you Christians who've been a Christian forever like I have. And, and we talk about, we galvanize around, we get, we get fired up about all that we're against. And it's seeped into our reputations. It's seeped into our news feeds. It's seeped into what is the first thing that people say about Christians, about what they're against. And it's horrible PR because what we're for and what has been done for us and what Jesus is like is so much better than what comes next. What we're called to and what we're called to not do because of our relationship with Jesus. But we skip the great part first and go straight to what we're against and what we don't do and who we're not when we actually are. And then we become hypocrites and we're revealed and we never told anybody about the good news in the first place. It's not a good strategy. It's not working. Now I'm bullish on holiness. I'm I'm not saying that we abandon that. It's what we are after. It's what we long for. Matthew 5, 48, be perfect, Jesus said, just as your heavenly father is perfect. But too often we require holiness before we accept others. We require one another to check the right boxes before they can even belong. And holiness comes about through, through our work together as a community and following and being formed by Jesus. Holiness is a lifelong endeavor. Holiness comes through Christ alone. Look back at the beginning of the chapter. The, what was offered in verse 1 is unless you are circumcised according to the custom prescribed by Moses, you cannot be saved. Adherence to this particular law or any other law with an outward appearance focus, it really served the purpose of making sure one looked like they belong. Because far too often in the history of the church, that has been what has been of primary importance, to look like you belong with no regard, little or no regard to the condition of one's heart. But the heart is changed over time by God in Christ alone. And these men were saying, unless you are circumcised according to the custom prescribed by Moses, you cannot be saved. If our focus is on what we can do, then the truth is we can do nothing. If our focus is on what we can do, the truth is we can do nothing. We can do nothing to attain salvation. But focusing on what we, what we can do, it leads us to a place where we are so quick to evaluate someone else's holiness and their ability to be a part of our Fellowship, But if we can focus our attention on what God can do and what God has done, well, look into our passage as it finishes and we'll see what our passage has to say about that. Verse 12, the whole assembly became silent 
and listen to Barnabas and Paul describe the signs and wonders God had done. God had done. God had done through them among the Gentiles. And after they stopped speaking, James responded, brothers, listen to me. Simeon has reported how God first intervened to take from the Gentiles a people for his name. And the words of the prophets agree with this as it is written After these things, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. I will rebuild its ruins and set it up again so that the rest of humanity may seek the Lord. Even all the Gentiles who are called by my name declares the Lord who makes these things known from long ago. That is new creation and we are not waiting on it to happen. It is happening now and it can happen amongst us. And to focus on what God is doing as presented here. Peter and James to focus on what God can do and is doing is to point people to what God has done and is doing in Jesus. It's that simple. We, we speak Jesus. During our time together in Linden, uh, Dwight Robertson, founder and director of Forge Kingdom Building Ministries, joined us and It was one of the many times in my life where I've gotten to sit under the teaching of a a really dynamic teacher and speaker and and presenter of the gospel through the word. And it was really good. And he was with us on Monday night and Tuesday morning. I really enjoyed him being with us. You should should look up his ministries, Forge Ministries and the work that they do. And he told us that his ministry that he directs has been connected uh, in a cohort of ministries for many years with the late, great Billy Graham. And Dwight told us this fascinating story about Billy and Ruth Graham that I had not heard before. Perhaps some of you will remember this. But at some point during the Cold War years, Billy, and this was much to the chagrin of much to the chagrin of many evangelical leaders at the time, he and Ruth embarked on a week-long trip to Moscow to examine specifically first-hand reports of religious persecution that we understood to be characteristic of the Soviet Union at that time. But as the trip unfolded, what came back to the U.S. were photos of of Ruth and Soviet women having lunch together on a park bench, on park benches, and having jovial and happy, joyful conversations. And there were pictures of Billy who was sitting around tables sharing meals with Soviet men appearing to have, uh, enjoying the table fellowship. Now, this is not in any way to minimize um, awful things that happened during that time in that place in the world. Atrocities happen all over the world. But Billy and Ruth went as peacekeepers, speaking Jesus to people that they believed they had more in common with than differences with. But on ret- upon returning, um, they did report that they enjoyed their time there and found little evidence of religious persecution. And what they did find there were lovely folks that they really enjoyed meeting and getting to know. So Billy was at a press conference answering questions about this trip, and, and one reporter didn't back down and came after him. And he said, Reverend Graham, you should not have taken this trip. These pictures alone set the church back 50 years. We may never recover. And Billy looked at him. He looked this reporter squarely in the eye 
And he said, sir, Ruth and I never intended to set the church back 50 years. We have been working with all we have for as long as we can remember to set the church back 2,000 years. We must have a robust understanding of the life and work of Jesus Christ. We must point others to him and to that. Billy Graham did it. I came to faith through his preaching. I believed he knew something about Jesus that I did not yet know. And in some way, he introduced me to Jesus. We can do the same on a personal level with those that we encounter in our community. We can do the same. So as you speak, Jesus, I hope you know that I am praying for you, that we will break out of whatever comfort zone we may feel like we are in and let people know that there's nothing that they can do to make God love them more or less. But just as they are, whomever they are, wherever they are from, they are not condemned. And Jesus loves them. And so do we. Let's pray.